Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, The Thing. In the year 1951, The Thing from Another World came to Earth. But no one really cared until the 80s. No, they were too busy looking up towards the skies, watching the skies. That was the thing, oh, sorry, Thing for Another World, the final line is uh, keep watching the skies. Oh, is that where that comes from? Exactly, oh, so nice. that stuck. I've actually still not watched the 51 one. Nor have I, but oh, okay. I, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I went down my Wikipedia rabbit hole, yeah? Well, we should definitely do that at some point, though, because I love 50 sci-fi films, and but I like this movie. not so. the film we're talking about today. Today is John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. This is Matt. This is Luke. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Yes, um, this is a bit more of our our spooky Halloween, so we have brought in a spooky guest for you. Um, I, I actually showed up in one of his first films briefly, which was entitled Marty Jenkins and the Vampire Bitches. Fantastic title. <laughs> um, that was my first feature, yeah. It was your first one, okay, groovy. So he's gone on to uh, make uh, films with other fantastic titles like uh, Kind of the Jane's Revenge. Uh, you've got Scare Waves with a fantastic poster. I am looking at your IMDb at the moment. <laughs> I know you've done some actual, like, legit segments of Amityville. I can't say that in the Ichi movies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we did a, well, I mean, it, it's not an official sequel in Amityville, uh, in the Amityville legacy, so to speak, but uh, you can't own a place, so uh, so we're allowed to use that, we're allowed to use the story to some extent. Oh, there we go, that's legit enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this is Henrik uh, Kuto, and I hope I just said it right. <laughs> you nailed it, you nailed it, my man. Okay, good, I actually... Because you didn't say any of the film titles, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I got Scareways right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Matt, um, what's the board used that you could use to communicate with the dead? What's that called? Ouija board. Ouija, 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 Ouija. Okay, let's trust this man on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, See, I've always been more of a tarot guy myself. For but. us Nintendo fans, it's easy because you always just make jokes about it being a Luigi board. Oh yeah, and I've even got Luigi's Mansion inside. I shouldn't have made that error. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so. The film today, The Thing, has a reputation for being creepier and shit, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just super tense so, is the main thing. I've seen most of John Carpenter's films, and I've kind of talked crap about his pacing before. Like, mm. I love the music, which he didn't do here, even though it's fantastic music. Um, the pacing's always been a little wonky, I've, but I've never seen The Thing. So this was actually the first time I watched The Thing. Right. You know, I'd seen, like, stills of, like, the spider monkey monster thing before, and that kind of made me not want to watch it, but... <laughs> no, no, now that... Now, now I'm like, yeah, now it's fantastic now that I have watched it, so I just had to... I had to face my own fear and watch the thing, which didn't turn out to be that scary, more gory. <laughs> but uh, the pacing was good. There are moments in the thing that, even though I know they're coming, they still scare me, though. Yeah, maybe maybe because um, Luke's not drinking this year. I know you don't drink. I, I was sitting around drinking Chew High and watching this. Maybe that like steeled me against it. <laughs> yeah, it numbed you down just enough to get through it. Yeah, so that might have been it. Because I will tell you, um, an alien, which I watch many times, uh, and this uh, you know is nice, goes nicely on the shelf next to Alien. I will. I always. I, I, you're going to call me a pussy. I always uh, fast forward through the um, egg bursting scene. Chest bursting is fine. It's the egg burst that I can't handle. Really? Yeah. Huh. Chest burst is great. I never skipped that. I see. Well, there's some... Well, I mean, that says a lot about Matt because he's, he's actually fine with phallic imagery, but he has a big problem with vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, no, no. The, the, but here, the the thing the, is the chest bursting. That the alien is like a dick, right? Yeah, with the egg. Yeah, but in the thing, we get the. Re- <laughs> I was fine with the reverse, like. Yeah, you want the dinosaur clothes, right? You mouth. don't want to be near one that's open. Oh, okay. <laughs> But, uh, okay. but on, on the thing, uh, there are two moments. Um, the moment where they go to use the defibrillator and the guy's chest just opens up and it becomes a mouth and it bites the guy's arms. I love that. <laughs> I love it too, but I oh, I know that it's coming. And I still go, ah, every time, every time it happens. Maybe that's it. I know Alien's coming, whereas here, I just have the, are you fucking kidding me response. <laughs> The first time is like is kind of and it, it helps if you you know the first time you see the movie if you don't have quite as much brain power to because it, it helps you know when I like I saw the first time I was like fifteen you know I couldn't really wrap my head around just how batshit it was so I so I took it at face value a lot more. Um, the other moment that always gets me is when they're testing the blood. And that one's the worst because I always scream. I always get scared. But, like, I know so clearly when it's going to happen because if you look really closely and you know where to look, you can tell that, like, the hand is fake that's holding the thing so that, you know, the holding the uh, Petri dish to, uh, mm. uh, to facilitate the special effect. I can see all of that a mile away now that I've seen the movie so many times. Yet... I will always scream like a girl when it happens, and I don't. It just always gets me. <laughs> I just watched it for the first time, and I, I just, for me, I just love the tenseness of that scene. Maybe you that know, scene is, yeah, that's being forty-one for now. I, I'm like, did they? I guess did they build the movie around that particular scene? It almost feels like it. I don't know. I mean, in a way, because the thing. It was a trailblazing movie just effects-wise. Uh, Rob Bottin did the effects, and he had become pretty famous for doing the effects on The Howling. Uh, that incredible werewolf transformation in The Howling was, you know, was his first calling card until The Thing. Because when he did The Thing, he was able... Which, I, every time I say the title of the movie, I feel like I'm talking about something I can't remember. <laughs> you know, when he, yeah, yeah, when he did The Thing. That's The Thing. <laughs> When he when he when he was the the main uh, effects artist on the thing, he just people were so blown away. And and you've got to remember this is an era before any kind of computer generated effects were really even reasonable. Uh, they could do very little in post to touch up his work. It was all you know right in your face. It was all really covered in goop and ready to look like it was somewhat you know real. Uh, and uh, Rob Bottin, I mean, a- after that movie, he became the guy, uh, along with, like, Rick Baker and some of the other guys. And ironically, Rob Bottin was supposed to do the werewolf effects on American Werewolf in London, um, but uh, got kicked for Rick Baker. So, ironically, uh, he went on the howling and started to, to push him off. That's a little bit of, you know, uh, special effects nerd trivia. But, they uh, both work, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, Rob Bottin, I mean, he... Between his special effects being just daunting and uh, John Carpenter's very, you know, John Carpenter-esque abilities, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's very much got his sensibilities all throughout it, but it's not really, I mean, it is a horror movie, but it's, a, it's got a lot more of a, of a drama and dread vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a thriller. Definitely enough. Oh, we got to throw the sci fi. We're sci fi sanctuary here. And it's legit on that end, too. Oh, it's definitely a science fiction movie. And and I think that that's the funnest part about it is it wears that on its sleeve. You can tell Carpenter loves sci fi stuff, even though he built his career mostly in horror, because the thing really is it's, 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 it's almost just uh, in many ways, it's a lot like Alien, but they're in Antarctica. Which is a little bit scarier to me because I've never been lost in space, but I have been snowed in and my Prius is stuck in a ditch. So I can kind of identify <laughs> with feeling trapped by the cold. Because, you know, if you live anywhere where they have a, you know, more than a mild winter, you've been there to some degree. <laughs> it's all altitude here. You go up, you're going to get a hell of a winter. You stay where we are at the moment. It's not too bad. I've made the stupid mistake of trying to climb a mountain in winter and just being like, <laughs> up to my waist in snow and like i hope this is the path but i really don't know <laughs> so um <laughs> but i want to see this castle so i'm gonna keep going before we get to the story uh luke you want to tell us about your first time with the thing yeah i've kind of got the opposite to you with john carpenter in that i've seen very few of his films but i've really liked everything i've seen 
So I think I've only seen The Thing, Halloween, and Big Trouble in Little China. I haven't seen Halloween, interestingly. I mean, I've seen lots of sequels. I've seen, I've seen three. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of fun. It is. No, I have seen some, but I think I haven't watched the original. So we're kind of coming in different places. Yeah. For me, for me, John Carpenter, it's like, he doesn't make, except for maybe a few of the later ones, um, there's nothing he made that I don't appreciate. It's just, right. it's not always enjoyed. This one, I totally enjoyed watching. Yeah. So, I mean. But I was looking at his IMDb just now, like, seeing if I had, there were more that I've watched. Uh, but there's not, but there's loads that I want to watch. And, like, I think all of his sci-fis we're going to have to cover for the podcast oh, eventually. Of we will. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to talk crap about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, he was dipping his toe even more into kind of being a little bit more sci-fi. I mean, like, Prince of Darkness, even though it's, a, it, it's definitely like got all the, the tropes of being a horror movie, uh, what is really going on is completely science fiction. Uh, so I highly recommend checking out Prince of Darkness. Um, Carpenter's one of those guys, you know, he's one of those masters of horror that if you actually look at his entire output, he has very few dogs. He has very few movies that aren't a great time to watch, especially considering he has so many more movies. Uh, I remember one time just sitting uh, and looking at his IMDb and going like, oh yeah, and he did Christine, that was great. And Prince of Darkness, that was great. And In the Mouth of Madness, that was, and those are movies I don't even usually rattle off the top of my head because usually, you know, you rattle off the top of your head, The Thing, Halloween, uh, you know, Assault on Precinct 13, uh, you know, maybe a couple other ones. Uh, those are kind of your go-to carpenters, but like even his not-so-famous output is really pretty boss. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, some people would heavily disagree, but I think that Ghosts of Mars kind of ages well because it wasn't really that good to begin with. <laughs> Backhand. <laughs> so no, it wasn't that good to begin with. I mean, I'm just admitting it, but you know, now when you watch it and it's aged, it's almost it's almost helped it. You know, now when we look back, we're like, yeah, they were trying to make Ice Cube happen really hard. And that's fun. <laughs> I mean, but that's like it, now it's amusing. Back then it made you groan. You're like, oh, they shoehorned Ice Cube into this and they're trying to make it, you know, whatever. Now you watch it, you're like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a blast and the best thing you can do with ghosts of mars is if you ha are in any way able watch it over broadcast television because the censorship is <laughs> there's so much swearing and sex and incredibly gratuitous gore that the, the movie's just missing chunks it almost helps it it makes it more of a fever dream you're like why the, what why'd the camera pan like that but the music got scary i don't know what happened <laughs> Um, so <laughs> that, that would be a good one for you guys to cover with Ghosts of Mars. That is his most unrelenting science fiction. I mean, it takes place on Mars for Christ's sake. No, I think most of his movies are on our docket at some point. So <laughs> I think uh, the, what you, you have to say about John Carpenter is he's a guy who's known for making horrors and slashes and monster movies, but his reputation is as a good filmmaker, not as a schlocky, like cheap guy. So that shows that he's good at what he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he was always considered kind of like the thinking man's horror director. Yeah. Um, because he was much more of a craftsman. Uh, and, and horror was just kind of where he wound up. Um, in fact, uh, it was slipping my mind before, but the first film he ever made was Dark Star. I love Dark Star. Which is great. <laughs> and the story behind Dark Star is you know, it, was a, it was a student film that he had made with Dan O'Bannon, who went on to write Alien and direct Return of the Living Dead. They, they made this short for college. And after they, they uh, I think they dropped out. I can't remember. After they finished up with college, um, some guy came to them and said, like, I will finance to make this a full feature. Um, and that's why you have this wild, disjointed, really fun flick. Because they, you know, they just did it though any way they could and they were still in this you know can-do attitude of you know we're in we're film students we're going to be filmmakers we're going to do this and this so dark star is just wild and especially for how little they had to work with um really a good time and i think that that even more so you know hammers home the idea that carpenter was was always kind of a sci-fi junkie to begin with um so but uh, i mean He's just got his outputs just so good. Uh, I mean, there are very few Carpenter movies I can't enjoy. Even the less good ones, I'll be like, oh, man, I got to put that on. Yeah, why not? Well, I'm going to do a little run here and just uh, we're going to break down the story of the thing, uh, after which we can 
there, there's no like spoilers here. We go completely uh, non-linearly after we just spoil everything right here and now. Those damn Swedes, I mean Norwegians, are helicopter chasing a dog right into an Antarctic American base. Things get weird, and the U.S. Commander Gary pops a cap in that damn Swedes, I mean Norwegians, arse. The U.S. base gets a new doggy pet, but one of the station's docs, Dr. Cooper, convinces U.S. helicopter pilot R.J. McCready to take a dangerous flight to the Norwegian base to see what's going on. What's going on is a charred base with mutilated corpses and a big pile of what the fuck which they bring back to the American base. That pile infects people, the dog turns out to be an alien which infects the other dogs and kills them and that sort of stuff, and the fact arises that anyone on the base could be a fatal face of this shape-shifting alien, which had previously been frozen in the Antarctic ice for 100,000 years. They have a squiz at the actual UFO, point flamethrowers towards gory, totally messed up manifestations of the alien DNA, and go about as paranoid as one can be. It all results with McCready taking charge, tying everyone up, and performing questionable blood tests. When COVID tests are positive, I'm sure that there are a few awkward glares in the room. When this blood test is positive, an iteration of the alien appears to bite someone's face off and turn them into a disturbing spider monster or something. The rapidly dwindling crew realizes that they need to destroy the alien, even at the cost of their own lives, before it makes its way into the general human population. Charges are set, disturbing FX goes live, and soon the base is in flames. Once those flames are gone, anyone surviving will freeze. It's a great time for a bottle of J&B scotch with a fellow who may very well be the alien in question. The thing in question. I should stop. <laughs> That's the problem. It's such a generic title. Here's the real oh. question, though. What's the more generic name? The Thing or It? It's even harder to search because at least you got The Thing, you can put quotations, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's worse, yeah. Um, I always used to get them confused as a kid before I'd watched either of them. Well, I was going to lead off with, we like to talk about the actors, and I'd like to start um, this one by talking about the female actors. <laughs> Good work. That was solid. <laughs> Good talk, fam. Yeah, this, this one may not pass the, is it Betchel test? <laughs> See, this is the sort of film which people making fun of feminism would bring up, but an actual feminist never would. Because it's like, yeah, it's, it's about a group of men in the Antarctic. We don't have to shoehorn a, women, a woman in there. One of the roles was originally going to be female. Really? The actress dropped out and they just recast it as another dude, yeah. making it a full-on sausage fest. <laughs> I mean, maybe, kinda, it, maybe women are too smart to go to the Antarctic for that long. Maybe that's well, what it really comes down. Maybe they're not too smart to do that, but I feel like a woman wouldn't have that same tense, testosterone-filled, violent reaction, right? It's about, it's about this group of men trapped together and going paranoid and dangerous. <laughs> and about half of them, I mean, you're right, the testosterone-fueled thing is a real major element because about half of them don't really like to take orders at all. Right. Whether it's because they're in charge, quote unquote, or they're, you know, just a badass like McCready. Um, so that also plays into it, too, because you have some of the crew who's pretty passive 
And then the rest of the crew is extremely ready to put their foot down on just about anything. <laughs> I mean, so, after being in the Arctic that long, I mean, I've been, you know, mostly in my house for five months and I'm ready to tie people to chairs and start testing their blood. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a Saturday night for me. You might have figured out your next movie. <laughs> it just has to be for ridiculous reasons. <laughs> um, is So is this or Escape from New York prime badass Kurt Russell? Well, Escape from New York, I mean, is almost a parody. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> so badass that it's almost it almost goes full circle and becomes hilarious. Um, one of the greatest lines in cinema history, the president of the United States has crash landed in New York. Get a new president. Greatest line I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it sounded so radical back in uh, 1981 or whatever. <laughs> Only one of these Kurt Russell's inspired Solid Snake, though, so I've got to give it to Pliskin. Okay. This, come on, add an eye patch and McCready's pretty much there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're, oh. not, they're not that far off. You know, you were talking about watching the the couple of Fast and Furiouses that can get away with being sci-fi. Right. They got Kurt Russell in them. Oh, oh God, we just sold me a little more, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then under him, since we do not have the lead actress in this one, under him on the cast list, I believe, is Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> Diabetes himself. I mean, uh, he was, was great awesome. in it, too. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the boomer paranoid that uh, Lucas... You were talking boomer technology when we were trying yeah, to yeah, yeah. Zoom here. <laughs> I, I tried to call you from my iPad. I was like, wait a minute, I need to use my iPad to record GarageBand. That's why you got a, that's why you got a fake call, sorry. <laughs> he's also he's like, oh, he sent me a link, so I'm going to have to log into my Facebook on your computer. I'm like, just send me the link. <laughs> Mind blown. Right? Yeah, that's so efficient. <laughs> Um, Those were a long 10 years between you being born and me being born. <laughs> so, um, who's most paranoid? Well, that's more of a character question. Um, other actors here, there's a couple other faces I half, half seem to remember They're from somewhere. They're all great as these characters, but there weren't really anyone I recognized. Like, oh, I've seen him in this and him in that. Uh, I think Keith this. David is, is probably the other standout of the cast. Uh, he was the, uh, I can't remember his character's name. So the only other way to, to signify would be to say he's the African American gentleman. Um, but he was in, uh, they live for Carpenter. Childs was, was his name in this. Childs. Yeah. Childs. He's, I mean, I think that he, Kurt Russell and Childs and, and, uh, Keith David as Childs, I think they kind of, they're kind of like the, uh, the biggest roles. Uh, and definitely, you know, they're both extremely kind of anti-authority once they realize what's going to happen. And I, and I, since we mentioned Wilford Brimley, one of the moments of the, the movie that I always forget to really how much I appreciate it until I'm rewatching the film is when, when Wilford Brimley runs the computer simulation for what would happen if this creature gets to mainland. And it just says, like, Earth is destroyed in one week. And then he has to live with that information. And destroyed Which is what in the drives most horrible insane. way possible. <laughs> yeah. but that's why he goes completely insane is because he realizes, like, we all got to die and freeze or else the planet dies. And it's like, what? That sounds insane. And he's like, I know. I don't care what you think. That's what's well, what I loved about those scenes was it just looked like he was playing asteroids. <laughs> <laughs> until, until I recognized, like, oh, this is meant to be like the electron microscope. I thought it was just one of the guys playing that arcade machine they had. That's the CGI for this movie, man. <laughs> I mean, Star the technology was not far off, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, man, is that is that all we got to say about the actors? They're all pretty good? That's it, yeah. They, they weren't really standouts, but everyone was like, they're just character actors, right? And they all fit into these roles perfectly. Yeah, it was cram-packed with character actors. Nearly everyone other than Kurt Russell and and... Keith David, I don't know. At that point in his career, I don't think he was a character actor, but he definitely grew into that in the 90s. I mean, he's mostly known for his voice because his voice is incredible. He's got that deep... He was the voice of the army, uh, of the army commercials. Uh, oh, the voice of the army. That's why I was sitting here thinking, Toy Story, Small Soldiers? No, the army, okay. Who was Don... Donald Muffet was in Logan's run, but I'm not sure who his character was. Yeah, I can't remember either. I mean, that was... Yeah, he was... Yeah. I mean, there were definitely, yeah, like, a lot of, like, uh, especially for that era, you could be like, hey, that guy was in that thing in the 70s that Carpenter was definitely a fan of when he was a wannabe filmmaker. The thing is it? 
<laughs> Sorry, I just had to call it out. <laughs> it is, yes, it is a generic title, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they could have called it the thing from another world since it was, you know, base. It was a, basically a remake of that film, but they went. I think the thing is a more fun name, though. Well, and uh, you know, they shot the majority of the film in in Los Angeles, California, so. For the scenes where they needed to have their breath showing, they had to crank the uh, air down to like 40 degrees and crank the humidity to 100% so you'd see their breath. Well, and they use that very interestingly at the end of the film, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah, and uh, the, the actors would get horribly sick when they would leave the set to go eat in the commissary. Um, and it's just 95 degrees and like no humidity because they're basically in the desert. It, it must, must have been horrible, horrible scenes where they, they didn't, didn't do that, that but they still had to wear those coats. coats. <laughs> oh, my God. I, uh, yeah, there's plenty. Of, well, and even those coats are too warm for 40 degrees, so. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't seem quite right for Antarctica, though. Because I was noticing watching the movie, it doesn't look quite cold enough, probably because it wasn't. Right. <laughs> but we don't, we're never told that they're, like, right at the South Pole, right? Correct. I, yeah, I, it could I, just be not that far in. Yeah, I do have a note about that uh, coming probably in the next segment. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess let's move on and talk about that and you know the design of this movie and some of those those wonderful gory bloody effects. So it's weird I haven't watched this movie. As we've said here on this podcast before, I like to watch like totally bizarre stuff on YouTube. Mm. Dark ride videos, like documentaries. I, I've done quite a bit, oh, like uh, Svalbard, where they got the seed bought and a little weird town, oh, a cold town at least. I've watched lots of videos about South Pole Station, Antarctic bases. Uh, I, I don't know, it's a weird obsession of mine. I've never seen the thing. So, <laughs> the one thing, the one thing that really disappointed me here, not really disappointed me, just I expected it and it didn't happen. In my mind, this movie mostly took place in the old South Pole Dome. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and I guess, I think I'm crossing wires a little bit with, with Day of the Dead, where it kind of does actually take place in a space that resembles that. Like, they got the little enclosed town, right? Okay. And I always thought the thing was in that sort of area, but it, nope. it's not. So I was Some a little bit... <laughs> I wanted my geodesic dome, and I didn't get it. So as yeah. you said, it's it's not the main South Pole base. It's just some yeah. auxiliary one. See, my disappointment with the South Pole is that the South Pole is the one that doesn't have bears. Mm. If they said it in the North Pole, we could have had, like, a thing bear. Oh, man. I don't, I don't know if the world's ready for a thing bear. <laughs> I mean, polar bears are already pretty, uh, pretty vicious. The yeah. 1951 movie is Arctic. Oh, really? Yeah, that's an interesting switch. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the 2011 remake slash prequel Pre is the Norwegian base. I, I yeah, yeah, seen yeah. That. I think it is just about that Norwegian base. Yeah. At the end, they the guy flies off. Is the whole movie like subtitled? Like it's in Norwegian? No, no, no. It it should have been. We're Swedish. Uh, <laughs> if I rem it's been a while since I watched that the thing prequel. I think that actually there are, there are people speaking uh, Norwegian or, or whatever whichever languages they speak. But there are like uh, a few crew people who are English speakers. Like the story makes it sense that they're English speakers, and that's who we follow the most. But they actually don't reveal that it is a uh, that it is a prequel until the very end when the dog runs away from the base, and then they had the music from the first movie start to swell up. <laughs> which was a pretty cool I, it wasn't the greatest movie in the world i had an all right time with it but that was a great moment when that happened at the end i was like oh shit <laughs> i, I am interested to check out that prequel but i've heard that the cg effects are a bit disappointing they are and from what the the scuttlebutt is the the effects were mostly practical but the studio got cold the studio feet made about them replace them. it yeah they, yeah they got cold feet that they weren't i guess you know extravagant Modern. enough they weren't as like wow enough 
for them. So yeah, the effects kind of stink out loud in that movie, but uh, you know, if bad effects ruin movies, I wouldn't like a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if a cut of that just with the practical effects might be a, yeah, a real it, winner. I think because I've, I've heard that, that rumor before, and I think that's what puts me off watching the film. It's not the fact that the effects are bad. It's that I know what I'm not getting that I could have been getting. You get it here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you get it all oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we already talked a little bit about, oh, man, you, you pronounce his name so well. Rob Botin? Botin, Botin. I want to say, see, I want to say Botin because I've only read his but name. But it's Botin. Okay. See, I was glad you said it first because I was like, oh, man, yeah. Just think of a big bowl of poutine. Yeah, well, now that's what, that's how I got it the second time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so wh- which one makes you crap yourself the hardest? I think it's when the dog first starts to burst out. Yeah. And, like, every time you see those, like, the vein tentacles, it just whip around really fast. I don't think I've ever seen anything else that does that. Yeah, yeah, the sound. Yeah, it's like the, the, the tentacles just wiggle and go crazy, and then the, the, tent, the, the cicada sound just kind of fills, envelops everything as they're, like, reaching. And, yeah, it's really... This, <laughs> this only slightly took me out of the movie, but there was, I think it was when, like, the shadow comes past, mm. and, and there was clearly someone was using, like, a thunder tube as a sound effect oh. with the little spring thing and the slinky inside. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you know because how you you're know, a sound guy, so yeah, we'd already had Halloween, so he couldn't. No, I'm thinking of Friday the Thirteenth with a Jason noise, but uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, anyway, you couldn't do that either. I yeah. guess so. Yeah, it took me out just a bit because it was like one of those Dolby moments. Where I'm like, maybe because I went to the the Disney Hollywood Studios when I was a kid and did the Dolby tour thing. I don't know. <laughs> Are they? That was fun. I don't think it's there anymore. <laughs> See, these days you don't even have that. You just everyone's using the same online sound effect library when been, you hear sound effect. You've been to the fart soundboard, yeah? Yeah, of course. Okay. I mean, I've been to a fart soundboard. It might not be the same one you did. I like <laughs> to think it's the, where you know, it's just 80 yeah. selections, right? The okay. thing, the fart soundboard. I <laughs> <laughs> could be good. That's not, you could find that on a search, not like the thing. Which, which one, which effect got you then, Matt? Hmm. I've already said it was not necessarily the chomping stomach. I was like, oh, that happened. Um, yeah, sorry, I asked the question kind of. Um, Henrik, uh, what, what do you think? I'm, I'm going to stew on that while you're telling us your take. Oh, well, well, as far as, I mean, I definitely already got into uh, a little bit of the, the effects that got me the most were definitely, I mean, and, and, and I think that one of the reasons that, you know, the stomach chomping uh, scene and the uh, blood test scene got me so much were not only because the effects were, you know, very startling, but also because the lead up was excellent. Um, mm. Just so much tension, so much dread. I mean, cause I don't really truly remember the first time, like how I reacted the first time I watched it. Cause I saw it so young but I do know that, you know, when I watched it again at like 20, I still was like, ah, and, and, and uh, the last, I think the last time I watched the thing was about two months ago. It just kind of, I was like, ah, I'm gonna pop it in. And uh, I still was just like, ah, when that happens, it, it just, I just can't get ready for it. I'm just not capable of being ready for it. I don't know exactly why. Any of these effects in the hands of like a schlocky knock around director could be like cheesy and goofy. It is the the tension that makes them work so well. Well, and I think also, um, you know, the I mean, I believe Dean Kundi was the director of photography on the thing, um, and he was uh, the DP on Halloween. He worked with Carpenter a lot, and then went on to work with Robert Zemeckis on Back to the Future and uh, Steven Spielberg on Jurassic Park. He became one of the most sought after directors of photography in the world, and he's still, you know, working to this day. So, and I think that how he lit the effects, how he shot them, how he framed them in, you know, in conjunction with working with John Carpenter and in conjunction with working with Rob Bottin, I think you had a, uh, a very good opportunity to really, uh, to, to really showcase the work better than maybe it could have otherwise. But I mean, that being said, Rob Bottin did some low budget stuff that still looked incredible. He's just kind of known for being a monster on, you know, in the effects world. Well, he makes the monster. <laughs> but I mean, like, uh, seriously, if you if you get a chance, just uh, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Just watch the howling transformation scene. 
that is so incredible to watch knowing that not only did they do it entirely practically, but they didn't even have that much money <laughs> to work with either. Um, and they, they, uh, they were work, they were speaking with you know John Landis who was making American Werewolf in London at the same time and they intentionally tried to make their transformation scenes as not the same as possible. Um, yeah, they were like you know communicating because they knew they were both making werewolf movies in the same town. Um, so they they would like intentionally be like, oh, are you doing like a shot of the snout coming straight out of his face? Okay, well I'm gonna do something different. You know I don't want to. We didn't. They didn't want it to be alike at all, uh, especially because. Uh, Botine was the guy who had everything to prove and Rick Baker was, you know, he was the king already. He'd done Exorcist and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's probably, I can't think of a single effect I don't like uh, in the movie, but those two effects really upset me. Uh, and, and the best part is they really legit, I mean, one of the reasons I love uh, horror movies, the reason I made a bunch of horror movies, I mean, I've made other types of movies too, and I, and I love them. Uh, but one of the reasons I always come back to horror movies is because I am a scaredy cat. I get scared. And I like it. It's, it's, you know, people often think like, oh, well, you know, you do all this stuff. You must be pretty, uh, pretty brave. No, I scream. I went, I went to a, uh, out by me. I went to a haunted, um, uh, ghost town. It uh, like, uh, it's a attraction full of like, uh, of evil cowboys and stuff. I screamed like a little girl every time they cracked the bullwhip around me and, and yelled at me. <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> It's scary. I like to be scared. So that's why I throw, I'll throw the thing on randomly every year or so is because I'm like, you know, I feel like just feeling really upset for a minute. Let's do it. <laughs> I guess for me, it's, it's the jump scare that gets me like, like uh, the, the haunted house. I'm not a big fan. Cause I don't like people jumping out at me. Um, as far as the nastiest, like the thing doesn't have any, I mean, it's got their jump scares have a little bit of sound buildup. Like, they're not just, like, kicking you in the head, which I liked. Yeah. Uh, maybe because I wasn't expecting it in this case. Um, before you put this one on, Luke said, oh, you're going to hate this because of all the body horror and you don't like body horror. The body horror I don't like, I think, is the one that seems, like, really practical. Like, was it, Human Centipede? Right. Like, where it's just all, like, real, like, intentionally done. And, oh, God, that's horrible. Ass to mouth. I mean, whereas this one is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, the, so... And then to answer which one got me the most would be the uh, melded faces. Okay. Because I have to think about how did that go down, you know? The chomping stomach, I'm like, that's crazy! You know, the, the tentacles and shit, I'm like, that's crazy! But yeah, the melded faces is the one that, you know, would pop up in my nightmares, I guess. I just recently finished playing the new Paper Mario game. And in that, there's a bit where you fight a boss, which is a pair of scissors. But first, it attacks you with this monster that's made of the cut-up faces of loads of other characters. And it's one of those things where it's like, they get away with it because they're just little paper cartoon characters. But if you actually stop and think, it's, it's the horrific. Thing. Yeah, you get attacked by the thing made from all these guys you're meant to be saving. Yeah. But they get away with it because they're just little, like, you know, cartoon mushroom guys. But, yeah. I was thinking, like, if you actually stop, this is really horrific. <laughs> And they, they kind of acknowledge that, but they get away with it because it's so cartoony. This one's not cartoony. Well, it, it almost is cartoony just because it is so far out there. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. You need good direction to make this stuff work. Yeah. And you need to have a lot of, a lot of like, tense, quiet time between these effect shots. And a lot of great moments. One of my favorite things is that you have these outrageous moments. I mean, there's literally, you know, part where uh, McReady says, like, you've got to be kidding. You know, you got to be fucking kidding me because it's so outrageous. But then when that, when the big moments drop for a minute and we get back to the quiet, it all becomes the same. It becomes, you know, more in reality where it's like, okay, so how are we going to kill this? And also we can't freeze to death. That would be bad. So let's, you know, like it becomes more human. Oh, yeah. You know, the worries, the concerns, the fears. They, they reel back into kind of reality after having something so beyond comprehension happen. And I like that. It makes me stay invested. The thing is that it's most scary, not when it's doing the wild effect stuff, but when it's just a person. When everyone's just locked, locked in a room and one of you might be the thing. Exactly. Uh, a friend of mine bought the, uh, there was a Kickstarter for a limited edition, the thing video, or not video game, uh, board game. And you draw cards and one of you is the thing. Uh, that sounds good. <laughs> it's pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. There are, there are a few board games recently which have done that sort of thing where like one of you is the traitor. Um, the Battlestar Galactica one I really want to play at some point. So yeah, yeah thing one would 
There actually there was a the thing game on PS2 and Xbox, and I remember it getting pretty good reviews at the time. I wonder if that still holds up. Yeah, I don't know. Because apparently it did. There was like a lot of you know talking to the members of your team and trying to figure it out. Wow, two thousand two. Oh, that's ancient history. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I don't know. Shall we all get paranoid? I find out which one. Don't was need much thing? help at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm there already, homie. Okay, paranoia. There's, you know, there's some, paranoia, there's some dovetailing with this film and. Get you. Hmm? I mean, it's the theme tune to Peep Show. <laughs> okay, because I, I wasn't quite figuring out if I had that theme song. Okay, <laughs> yeah, the paranoia here is of note, and like we mentioned earlier, it's just this like over masculine, like oh, aggressive thing. That, there is a screenshot from the thing that's been getting shared loads this year. What's that? It, I can't, it's like. Um, it's the bit where McCready sat making his report, and it's like, um, everything is terrible, nobody trusts anyone, something like that. It's beginning Usually it says something about what's happening now, but then it says, you know, yeah. it says no one, no one trusts anyone, everyone's an asshole, or something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's great. It's a great <laughs> meme. But yeah, it's just a film that suddenly seems, with everyone kind of spying everyone else a little bit these days, uh, it seems to be somewhat more relevant than it has been in uh, recent years until this year. Yep. <laughs> well, there, is, there is this genuine element of like, there's a deadly virus going around and sometimes you can't trust your friends not to just give you it. So like, people are justifiably paranoid about other people not taking precaution. The real world gets a more balanced one. It's, it's not just like a bunch of like, yeah, people aren't just going to explode and eat your face. In most cities. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, yeah, there's there's a a wider variety of personalities than just... (laughs) You know, that tempers things a bit. But there is just a thing where people... Like, you can understand how they're looking at each other a little more now than... I'm sure there's been some, like, big fights in some bars where some dude's seen another dude not wearing his thing, not wearing his mask. Oh, definitely. And, and, well, and just, just how grouchy everyone gets from from just kind of you know their lives being uprooted and worrying about money or what like it, it's it reminds me of the thing because now when i when i think about those characters i'm like you know before all of this things weren't that great either <laughs> they were all just kind of every day it was like hey there's some snow cool you want to get drunk and play ping pong i got nothing else to do i got nothing man yeah it's like you got this thing now, which is an alien, you know, doing body horror and stuff. But, you know, there was another thing like a few weeks ago or a few years ago as well. <laughs> this is the quote everyone's been sharing. Nobody trusts anybody now and we're all very tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess that gets it about right. Yeah, that's pretty much 2020. Again, yeah. from what I hear, we haven't lived any of it. <laughs> Yeah, Japan's a little We're, weird about it. Especially right here in rural Japan. <laughs> yeah, we, we there, there's some motions and stuff, you know. You go into a store, you throw on a mask, that sort of thing. But uh, my my daughter physically did not go to school just for two months, I think. And in Japan, they sent them back. So, I mean, with masks and all that. But, yeah, yeah, Japan is in a very weird bubble at the moment. Different than their 80s financial bubble, I guess. <laughs> and it still might burst. <laughs> but it still might burst. Yeah, it still might burst, and I, I want the money bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take what you can get. Well, you know what? COVID bought me this sofa, so I can't complain. There we go. Oh, you got your... Yeah, the got my stimulus check. Go of money. I'm no longer <laughs> sleeping on the floor after two years in this apartment. <laughs> yeah, Luke doesn't have to sleep on the floor anymore. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in Japan, we do regularly sleep on floors, though. I slept on the floor until I was 29 years old, so I get it. And I didn't live I, yeah. in Japan. I was just a weirdo. <laughs> I, I think I was about six months in my first apartment in the UK as well. <laughs> no, I like sleeping on the floor. I don't know why you got a couch. It's more for what it was, because I, it was my only place to sit was my bed. I'd get home, sit down there, and just feel like it's bedtime. Mm. Whereas now I sit down on the sofa, it feels like it's time to be awake. I turn it into the bed and it feels like bedtime. There you go. I fell out of my bed a few months ago. 
the middle of the night. Doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> it was exciting. <laughs> Where were we? The thing. Okay. Did you wake up when you fell out or when you hit the floor? I think I fell. Out, I wake up. Woke up like in the middle of the fall, which was oh. really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get like a zero G bit in your dream, like they do in Inception? I don't know. I was just, I'm glad I didn't destroy the iPad we're recording this on now because it was on the table next to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have dropped it during recordings a couple of times as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where were we anyway? Uh, oh, some wild paranoia, the thing. Yeah, um, it is very much like the alien vibe. Uh, although, like we said, this one is hardcore testosterone, whereas the alien has a mixture. Yeah. But yeah. The reason Alien has a survivor is because there was a sensible woman on board. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were a few moments where they're going to have everyone die, like in the thing. Mm. Although, hell, we don't know what happens. Right, no, yeah, because I've heard there's the ending where the alien kills Ripley and imitates her voice like a Terminator. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, that, that's even darker, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we don't know that these guys are dying in a thing, but they are. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah maybe, maybe the, the music swelling to a dark dissonance meant that they were going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> they should have had the, uh, the, the final line be, this is a fine mess you've gotten us into. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good way to end it. But I think this, even more so than Alien, just captures the, like, the fear of something completely alien. Like, the thing is nothing like any creature on Earth that could be trying to kill you. No, you never get a base image for the thing. Alien, mm. you can, you got the xenomorph, right? Well, yeah, that's right. Um, the first alien works because you don't see the alien until the end. Right. Once you've seen the alien, they're not that scary. <laughs> like, in Aliens, there has to be a thousand of them for them to be scary because you can just mow them down with an assault rifle. There's one right in there in your room. It'd be pretty scary. I take an well, in Aliens, okay. the secret was they show you a thousand of them and then they give you one really big one at the end. <laughs> yeah, 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 boss fight. But yeah, the, the thing, I, I, I read something interesting about the poster where the person who made the iconic poster, you know, with mm. the glowing face thing, yeah. like they had not seen the movie huh. and not, hadn't even been giving that much information. So they basically made like a slasher film cover huh. as anonymously as possible. <laughs> but it works. Yeah. So something wild, which I didn't know until just now when I quickly looked at the Wikipedia page, not only is this based on the 1951 film, that's based on a 1938 book. Yes. Called Who Goes There? Kurt Russell goes there. <laughs> but yeah, the, but like the premise was pretty much all there. The Antarctic base, a shape-shifting alien, absorbed other creatures. That's, pretty, that's a pretty wild idea for 1938. I've got to give that guy some credit. You want to get paranoid? Who wants to get paranoid? No one. The Antarctic Treaty of 1959, man. Where are they covering up? Aliens, I guess. Yeah, aliens under the ice. Like no, it's a pyramid people. where the, the predators come to fight aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the one. <laughs> I hope it's there. I think it is there. It's there. It's that, or we're on a flat Earth, and it's a fifty-foot ice wall all around. There's no Antarctica. This movie's all fallacy. Uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just like to throw Wait, out is those there a, wild there's the fifty-foot ice wall at the South Pole. And is, is there ice in the middle, which is what we call the North Pole as well? well there would be a giant mountain there, which the, the, and, the, and the sun revolves around that giant mountain. That's why it can be night where Henrik uh, is now and daytime where we are. See. Because of the giant mountain in the center. Cool. <laughs> okay, now... Heads up, kids. It all ends. <laughs> <laughs> Hollow Earth next? That one's a little more legit, by the I'm way. I'm saving that till, till Skull Island, remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's the problem. I, like I said, I like the Hollow Earth, right? You're like, oh, cool, yeah, there's a hollow earth full of monsters. I, this is a fun conspiracy theory. I can get behind this one. You read, like, two paragraphs in, and it gets to the Jews. <laughs> oh, you need <laughs> to... Like, God damn it, You're reading the wrong guys. books. All the good conspiracy theories land on the Jews eventually. You just If you I just know, keep so asking annoying. questions... Just, like, just give me the alien stuff. I like that. Why do you have to get into all this, like... Anunnaki, man, go for the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki gets real racist real fast. <laughs> 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 they always do. <laughs> Those damn Anunnaki. I'm going to be racist against them. <laughs> oh, okay.
so when this film came out, it was generally panned. It didn't make any money. There's no way this one would stand the test of time. It was a failure, critical and commercial failure. Was it actually? Yes. I have looked, I probably did know that once upon a time, but I'd forgotten it. Yeah. One of the memes about uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is Marty McFly from uh, Back to the Future. And it says, I guess it's, uh, you guys aren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. And it's just yeah. a copy of The Thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because obviously I was born in 1990. I've never known this as anything other than beloved. I seem to have some, like, um, we just talked to Andrew for Reanimator. And I do remember this one not having a great reputation and then we put on a nightmare on elm street too so whatever we are kids but, right. <laughs> but yeah i've i don't think i've ever even heard like a word of criticism about the thing it, it's it, like in in my whole lifetime it's just been considered a masterpiece i remember it not having a fantastic reputation then i remember people telling me i was going to make me like literally shit myself which <laughs> it didn't quite do if you'd watched it when you were six maybe okay i could have done that but i didn't <laughs> Its reputation really turned around when DVD became a thing. That was that was really when it, when ah, that was when people really started to like it. Um, was yeah, was when it got reissued on DVD. That was when everybody was talking about because it, it also looked amazing because they had you know done a fancy transfer because uh, it was you know beautifully shot movie. So everybody was like, whoa, you can see the thing like never before, and the effects looked even more terrifying because they were just so good. It didn't mm. matter that you could see them better. <laughs> Yeah, this was one of the first releases on DVD, wasn't it? Because I remember, I remember seeing because I got DVD relatively early, and I was like, "Oh, that one's supposed to suck. I won't get that." Which, oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I ever watched it until five or six years ago, and I think a podcast I listened to, they did like a double feature where they talked about the Lovecraft story, the Mountains of Madness, and then this film. Well, this is the start of what he now refers to as his Apocalypse uh, trilogy, which is. This, uh, the aforementioned Prince of Darkness and in the Mouth of Madness, not the mountains. Which, in like, the I Mouth of Madness is another really scary movie. Yeah, I always forget which one's Lovecraft and which one Carpenter did. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's all cross-referenced in the end. But, uh, yeah. Oh, oh before, we, before we wind down too much, I did want to just uh, talk about the music a little bit. We talk a lot how maybe I don't, I always appreciate John Carpenter's movies. The pacing doesn't always grab me. The music always does. This one is not John Carpenter's music. Uh, it's accidentally very appropriate that we've done this film <laughs> because, uh, of course, Enrico Morricone recently passed away. Did he? Crap! Yeah, just like last month. See, and Reanimator were talking about all those people who passed away. So, oh, that's too bad. You say that, I'm like, shit, no! Yeah. <laughs> but um, I didn't know that he'd done any sci-fi, so I didn't really think of us trying to do it. I didn't, for I didn't realize he did the soundtrack till it came up. I was like, oh, crap. This is yeah, same, Carpenter. same. Well, no disappointment. I'll listen to his soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. And it's a good one. So, yeah, yeah, like, you know, rest in peace, big man. But he's done some great work. Honestly, John Carpenter could have done this one fine. I mean, it sounds like him. Like, Morricone basically did a Carpenter soundtrack for a Carpenter film. Yeah, yeah, Carpenter definitely has a heavy influence on the music of his films, even if he's not, you know, directly, re you know, involved. That's why you need to watch Ghosts of Mars, because the score is John Carpenter, Anthrax, and Buckethead. Okay, <laughs> yes, we need to watch Anthrax, yes. So you got me with... You, you, you won me over with Anthrax. Um, uh, John Carpenter, does he do the... Okay, sorry, I have a sound... Um, John Carpenter, three or four years ago, did an album with his son where he just re-recorded a bunch of his themes. I was like, is the thing on it? And it is. That's why I totally thought he did the music, because he did a cover version for his own movie. That's weird. And then the rest of them are his composition, so... I will say, um, we've had, like, the remake and everything. I love whenever John Carpenter talks about any of this stuff. <laughs> where someone's like oh what did you think of that the thing remake he's like oh that's the good kind of remake because i got paid for it <laughs> he has quote quotes like that all the time he's really, really funny, funny guy. guy he is he is very about what he's about and he's not afraid to tell you that he would generally prefer to uh smoke pot and play xbox <laughs> and get paid for doing nothing i thought he'd smoke pot and play music i'm sure he plays music too <laughs> that'd be yeah sorry you were giving us a I was going to try and find some of his quotes but I couldn't so I gave up oh okay <laughs>
I recently saw a whole bunch of them shared on Twitter, Twitter and it's pretty funny. Okay. But yeah, he's just... Well, well you, you'll, you'll get another chance on that. does his stuff. We will definitely do more Carpenters. There's no problem yeah, with that. Yeah, this is the first one we've done, isn't it? Yeah. We've talked about him a lot, but we've never yeah, actually yeah. done one. Yeah, okay. I, well, I get, because we were wanting to do horror for, how, for October, right? Yeah. And if you're going to start Carpenter, you've got to start with one of his horror ones. You think? Well, obviously we did, so I guess you do think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you're a thing. Um, <laughs> I was just, what, what happened to Reed Richards and Sue Storm in this one? Well, I guess if they'd been here, they'd have solved it too quickly with some science. Uh, okay. She was here. That's why she, the, the only female character was invisible. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, the thing does act more like Reed Richards than the thing. Stretching and contorting itself. Oh, right, right, exactly. And that scientific mind. Although I did hear the... Um, this is like what the gritty reboot of Mr. Fantastic would be like. When he stretches, his skin like rips apart and his organs come out and stuff. Um, I heard a fan theory, which actually I... I I've, this is one of those fan theories like, yeah, that's what happened. Mm. Like, you see the swank UFO at the beginning, right? Yeah. So the, I, the fan theory is that the thing had actually jacked the UFO. Like, that's not his race or anything. Or right. its race, like... He yeah, jacked yeah, yeah. the UFO and killed everyone on it. There's, um, I want to read, there's a short story which came out a couple of years ago, apparently, which is the whole film told from the thing's point of view. I could see that. I was thinking and, like, about At first, that. it, like, doesn't really understand what's happening. Then eventually it realizes, like, oh, these are all creatures with their own independent brains. They don't want to be assimilated. Gross. And decides <laughs> it needs to kill them. <laughs> I, I, I was actually watching this movie kind of thinking about how it was strategized. There's recently an indie game that's come out that I really want to play called Carrion, where you play as basically like a other thing or an alien and like kill your way out of a science facility and like mutating and growing stuff as you go. I want to give that a go. <laughs> this, there's a lot of stuff which is not, even if it's not directly related to the thing, it's inspired a lot of things. Like we've talked about the, um, the Lovecraft novel Mountains of Madness, which this is very much like. Mm. It's a remake of a film based on a book and has a prequel. There's a PS2 game. There's also, I want to give a shout out to a podcast, um, The White Vault. It's a horror podcast, like a, a narrative one, which is very much like this. It's about like an Arctic expedition um, that gets stranded out in the ice and there's like monsters in the caves or whatever. Well worth a listen if you want to spook yourself out. Do well, what I do. Th this guy's got one we'll talk about in a minute too. We got, yeah, guys have it on while part. you're up a mountain in the night. But, uh, <laughs> you you might shit yourself. <laughs> um, Henrik, you got any more thoughts you want to throw out on the thing? Uh, no, I, I I managed to get all my really nerdy trivia in, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> so I, I guess I should make that other segue, whereas like uh, Luke was plugging some spooky stories, which you should do, but then you can double down on those uh, spooky stories. So you want to tell us about that? Oh yeah, uh, I actually uh, I narrate and host a podcast. Uh, called Weekly Spooky, which is uh, a piece of uh, a narrative horror fiction every single Wednesday. Uh, we've done 45 episodes so far. We're, our uh, year anniversary will be on Halloween. Uh, we launched about a year ago. So uh, if you like uh, horror fiction, uh, they're generally between 20 minutes and 40 minutes, depending. Uh, you can go to weeklyspooky.com or just search Weekly Spooky anywhere you uh, download podcasts. Uh, I very much appreciate it. We've been having a great time doing it. We've discovered an immense amount of very talented authors who had like no conduit to get out short stories. It's been really, really cool and a really awesome experience. And yeah, I, I was I've, ju I've just subscribed now and I've seen one with Mothman in the title. So I'm downloading that. <laughs> <laughs> that one is one of the sickest. That's the other thing. The best part about weekly spooky is because it's every single week. I never try to have any consistency between the stories. Like one week, it'll be funny. One week, it'll be gross out. One week, it'll be suspense. We just go with, we go with the flow because you know, if you don't like that one, then just wait a week. You know, what are you, what, it's free. The price is right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to undercut your pitch, but, um, I listened to another podcast and I've discovered that the word spooky is Welsh slang for a boner. <laughs> so when I hear a podcast called Weekly Spooky. So you listen to his podcast for a good time, man. Yeah. So, going to get my weekly spooky. <laughs> What's the problem, man? Um, how about a bit about your movies? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've directed a bunch of movies and a, a television series called Boggy Creek, the series, which is on Amazon Prime. 
uh, in the U.S. and I think the U.K. and Canada. Um, and uh, if if anybody wants to find out anything about my uh, my movies, my podcast stuff like that, they could just go to my website, which is incrediblyhandsome.com. For real, that's my website, incrediblyhandsome.com. Uh, you could find all the information. I nothing but respect for that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Luke. Here's just, I guess friend of bears is your your re. Yeah, Luke somehow friend of bears on Twitter. That's sort of your re uh, tweaking of that basic concept because bears are handsome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guess. <laughs> Especially in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> um, after you've been terrified from getting your weekly boner, <laughs> uh, maybe I want to chill out and hear about some Pokemon's. Yeah, if you want to hear about slightly less terrifying monsters. You can check out my other podcast, Luke Loves Pokemon. It's on Twitter at Luke Loves PKMN. We just talk about a different monster every episode. Sometimes we do ghost ones and I try and get a bit spooky, but, you know, I'm not an expert in that. If you like the music you heard in this podcast, Matt's very good at ripping off John Carpenter, so I'm sure you'll hear some of that. But he didn't make the music for this one. What should I do? <laughs> do you have anything that rips off Enrico Morricone? Actually, I think I might. Like, like cowboy guitars? Yeah, I was going to say, it's a little more spaghetti western. Might yeah, have that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> I'll throw at least one in, okay. I did I did like that um, Kurt Russell was wearing his cowboy hat the whole time. Yeah, I just needed the eye patch, didn't he? I love owning my, wearing my cowboy hat. Oh, did I tell you my best story from when I went from when, what? my trip the other week? Sado Island? Yeah, it was when I got to Niigata City and the guy showed me around the hostel. He doesn't really speak English, but he's doing his best. He's like, oh, here's the bed, here's the kitchen. He gets to the bathroom, he's like, here's the shampoo. And he's pointing at the conditioner but he's like really struggling to remember the word here's the uh here's the uh so i just take off my hat and show him my bald head i'm like it's fine don't worry <laughs> <laughs> he like pissed himself off <laughs> yeah. So, yeah i'm a big fan of wearing a cowboy hat all the time you know use conditioner on the beard i actually when i'm staying at a place that gives me free shampoo and conditioner i 100 percent do use conditioner on my beard <laughs> there we go <laughs> oh yeah henrik while you're here anything you want to say about facial hair i know you've uh I've seen some Facebook shots where it looked like you put some thought to that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, usually I rock a handlebar mustache and, uh, and I have my, uh, my beard, uh, like the chin part of my beard is, is tied off in hair ties. Right now I'm just wa- rocking like a terrifying uh, thick beard that really shows my Hispanic roots. Uh, it's just like, it's so thick because uh, I'm getting ready to shoot a, um, a movie. We're going to be doing a, a webcam uh, horror thing. And I'm playing one of the side roles. So I tried to make myself look, you know, vaguely like a normal human being. Um, so I've got a night. And also, you know, so I can match everybody else that's been in lockdown and just, you know, have a big fat beard. So, but uh, once I'm done filming that, I will be back to my uh, luxurious handlebar mustache. Really, it's kind of like carny trash meets biker trash. That's kind of what I ended up with. You do no. sound incredibly handsome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just envious, man, because I go like, like five days, my wife's like, you're not getting laid till you shave. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, because after last week, no, after I was out for a week, right? I was, I was like, oh, it's like Tony Stark, right? She's like, you have to shave. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> she didn't like that. And see, because I've, I've had a beard now for like 10 years, no girl goes out with me because they want a guy with no, without a beard. <laughs> they know what they're getting in for. There we go. Okay. Well, um, Henrik, thank you very much for joining us today. We, we definitely got into that thing, doing that thing, nothing but a G thing. Okay. Um, Luke, how, how shall all of our homies well, head out? I'm afraid that this week no one can leave the sci-fi sanctuary. If any of us leave, the world is doomed. So we're just going to have to incinerate ourselves. Burning down the house. The, the base.